Please to the book of Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews chapter number 5, and I'll uh, introduce our text in just a little bit. God works in strange ways. The introduction to this sermon actually started out as an introduction to a different sermon. I'd prepared a message that I fully intended to, to preach, and, uh, and generally I prepared the message before I prepared the introduction to it. And so I had the message ready and started working on an introduction. And uh, as I prepared the introduction, all of a sudden I began to feel a sense of urgency and, and a need to preach a different sermon, but with the same introduction. And so that's what's going on today. And if you think you're confused, why, you should have been there when I was trying to figure this out. But something happened that caused me to shift my focus, and uh, and hopefully I'll be able to explain that later on. But the introduction, the introduction went something like this, sin is bad beyond belief. Bad beyond belief. In other words, sin is worse than words can describe. And the only thing worse than sin is sinning without shame. And we live in a day when that is common. It was true of ancient Israel. They had sinned against God shamelessly. In fact, the prophet said they're not even able to blush. And it's shocking how unshameful some folks are today. It's obvious that with those folks there is no hatred of sin. There's no sense of shame. There's no concern about danger no fear of God, and I'm not talking about those that we would call heathen. I'm talking about those that we think of as being Christian people, at least they profess to be. Unlike years gone by, and when I say years gone by, I'm not thinking back in terms of centuries. I'm thinking back 30, 40 years ago. During my lifetime, during my ministry, in fact. And unlike the years that have gone by, people today think nothing about flaunting their sin in the church. And, and now we plaster it all over Facebook. We talk about it openly. I, I mean, th- th- there's no shame. And, you know, I, I'm constantly thinking to myself, what in the world... Are they thinking? I mean, what's the thought process that goes through this? I mean, isn't anything sacred any longer? I mean, you know, it's bad enough to sin and to hide your sin and, you know, to pretend like it doesn't exist. But all of a sudden, we live in a day where, you know, well, we just drag it right out in the light and out in the open and uh, and show the world. And in the light of the Bible's clear instructions, you have to be either really stupid or desperately wicked to do something like that. 
to just sin, sin openly, advertise it, and then act like, well, I haven't really done anything wrong. When you know something is sinful and harmful and offensive to God, and you claim that you love the Lord, why would you disobey Him and dishonor Him? I mean, how could you do that without blushing? To say, I love the Lord, but but I'm not ashamed of my sin. I, I really would like for someone to please understand why we're not ashamed. I mean, if you have an explanation, I'd be glad to hear it. I mean, why is it that we can sin so flagrantly, so openly, without any shame? And, uh, you know, I don't see how anybody can deny what I've just said. I mean, whenever you look at the Bible and the clear instructions that God gives, I mean, how can we... How can we honestly deny our sin? Well, there's several possibilities. Could it be that far fewer people are saved than we think? Now, I believe that's true, by the way. I don't think there's nearly as many people saved as we think. That's one thing Billy Graham and I have agreed on. I think one time uh, he made the, the statement that, that he figured probably 90% of professing Christians have never really been born again. I think it's probably right. We talk about living in a Christian nation, uh, but the sad fact is a lot of folks have no idea what it really means to be born again. Or could it be that Christians today are so ignorant of the Bible that they're unable to identify sin? Now, there's some truth to that. Uh, you know, we live, we live in a day in an age where uh, people get served junk food, as it were, uh, rather than getting, you know, the Word of God, uh, they just get entertained. But as we look at the reasons why we are sinning shamelessly in our society today, There's something else, I think, that has to be taken into consideration other than the fact that a lot of professing Christians just are not saved or that they are so dumb, so ignorant that they don't really even understand what sin is. There's another possibility. And and I say that for one thing because I, in observing the lives of people, I see folks that are doing things that are wrong, clearly wrong. And yet, on the other hand, I see some evidences that these people really do have a uh, seemingly a love for God, and, and, and they're devoted. So there's got to be something else going on. And I believe that we are able to identify the problem right here in Hebrews chapter 5. And we're going to begin in verse number 11. And the problem that I see has to do with what I'm going to call delayed development. Delayed development. Verse number 11. And as I believe the writer is Paul, and as he's writing of the Lord, he says, Of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. Now remember, he's writing to a church. 
And if you don't believe that, all you got to do is just read this letter. And there's several instances, for example, in chapter number 13, where he tells them their attitude toward the pastor and so on and so forth. So it's obvious he's writing to a Christian congregation. But notice what he says in verse 12. For when, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But, Strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So in this section of this letter, he deals with arrested development. In other words, it's the case of Christians that have been saved for, uh, for a considerable amount of time, but yet they have never matured spiritually. The time has come that they ought to be teachers. They ought to be ministering to others. But instead of them ministering to others, they are still in need of being ministered to by others. In other words, instead of them teaching others the Word of God... They are in need of being taught the very fundamentals of the faith, the basics of Christian beliefs, the ABCs, the simple things that they ought to be beyond. Now they have need of someone going back and teaching those basic things again. And Paul is saying there are a lot of other things I'd like to say to you, things I would like to teach you, but you're just not able to comprehend those things because you're still babes. Now... Their spiritual development has become stagnated, and the chances are good, I think, that a lot of folks today are in the same boat as these people, and you need to understand that's a dangerous place to be. And it's even more dangerous when you are unaware of your immaturity, just as some teenagers, I think maybe all teenagers at some point in time, just as they begin to think, I'm all grown up. You know, some Christians think, well, I have arrived at the pinnacle of spiritual maturity, and they haven't. They haven't. They have a long way to go. That was the problem with the church at Corinth. When Paul was writing to them, and boy, their problems were numerous. There were divisions and arguing and bickering and all kinds of problems But at the root of those problems was the fact that they were, as Paul described them, babes in Christ. Now, now understand, he said they were in Christ, so we're talking about Christian people. They were actually born again. They were God's children, Christian people, but he says they are babes in Christ. They're believers, but they are babes. They are Christians, but they're conducting themselves as though they're children, and that led to their numerous problems. And we can learn a lot of valuable lessons from that. There's not anything shameful about being immature. I mean, we expect that of little babies, right? You don't expect a two-year-old to behave like, you know, somebody that's 21. A lot of times you hear parents say to kids, you know, at your age. Well, that's what they're doing. 
you know, what do you expect? And, and, and so there's not, not anything shameful about being immature. That's a part of the process. But there's something terribly wrong with remaining immature because every Christian ought to be growing. And there's something terribly wrong when we're not. I think the best definition I know of of a backslider is a person who has stopped growing in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us we're to be always growing in grace and knowledge of Christ. When we stop growing, it means that we are backslidden. Now, the fact of the matter is, you might be far advanced from others in the church in your spiritual maturity. It might be that you know a lot more about the Bible than they do. It might be that, you know, that you're in, in ministry, whereas others are not in a particular ministry. And, uh, and still, when you stop growing, when you, when you come to that dead end and you're no longer growing, you need to understand that it's because you are in a backslidden condition. Because, you see, none of us in this life ever reach the ultimate pinnacle of spiritual maturity because our example is who? Christ, right? Now, if He is our example, you know, you, you, might, you might ascend in your maturity to the point that you surpass me and you surpass everybody else, but all you have to do is turn and look upward toward Christ and see that you still come far short of His glory. We're nowhere near what we could be and what we should be. So as long as you're living on this earth, understand there's always room for growth and development. And in this, this day of what I call dumbed-down Christianity, Christians aren't growing because they're more interested in bringing out the champion that's in you. And it's all about you. And even in the context of God being mentioned, it's always about what God can do for you rather, rather than being about Him and what we ought to be doing for Him. Now, whenever we, when we think about this, Matter of immaturity, there are three things this morning I want you to think about. And I want to show you some examples of immaturity. I want you to consider the evidences of maturity and then the essentials for maturity. So let's just start with number one. That's a good place to start, and that's examples. You know, Paul says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, they are babes in Christ. And here in Hebrews, he uses that word babes again to identify the childish characteristics of these Christian people. Now, it ought to be easy for us to draw a parallel, right? Whenever we think of little children, we, we all can make a list. Little children are selfish. In other words, they think the whole world revolves around them. If you don't believe that, go down to the nursery, you know, or in there with the toddlers and, and just watch them for a little while. You know, there'll be some kid that'll have a toy, and it won't be long before that kid wants somebody else's toy, and, and they, they just think they've got a right to take whatever they want. That's the way they think. It's all about them. They are selfish. Not only are they selfish, but they're quick-tempered and argumentative. 
I mean, you, you don't see them sitting there trying to reason things out. I mean, they just fly off the handle right now, quick-tempered. They're, they complain. They're critical. They're demanding attention. Boy, you know, a kid will do almost anything to get your attention. They, you know, it, it, some, sometimes we parents say, why in the world did you do that? Well, they did what they did in order to get your attention. If it means jumping off of something, you know, that's higher than the, than the safe height, they'll do it. I mean, they'll do almost anything to get attention. And um, they just want somebody to pay attention to them. But not only that, they'll get by with whatever they, they can. If they can get by with it, they're going to do it. Now, that, I'm talking about my kids and your kids and all kids. That's just in the nature of a child to do something if they think they can get by with it. And so you let them get by with it, and they're going to keep doing it. Sometimes we wonder, well, you know, why, why, why does my kid do this and that? Because you let them do it. You say, well, I can't stop them. Really? <laughs> really? <laughs> no, yeah, you could. You could. You don't want to inconvenience yourself you know, and do what's necessary to put a stop to it, you see. They're going to keep doing what they can get by with. Not only that, they don't have any sense of value. They'll flush your diamond ring down the commode in a heartbeat. Diamonds are no more valuable than glass to, to little children. You know, it, that, that doesn't impress them. They have no sense of value. They'll tear something up that may be of great value to you. doesn't mean anything to them. No sense of value, no sense of danger. A little kid will get out in the middle of the street and play in the street, and, and there are cars that weigh 3,000 pounds going 60 mile an hour down the road, and that little kid's out there playing in the street. They don't have any sense of danger. Not only do they not have a sense of danger, they're dangerous. They'll burn your house down in a heartbeat. Really, they will. They're dangerous to be around. You better, you better be glad these little kids. Think about a three or four year old kid. You better be glad they're not six foot tall and two hundred pound. Can you imagine what would happen then? Well, come, come to think of it, some of them are six foot tall, and yeah, they just ne- never learn to grow up. But they're dangerous. Not only that. Little children are limited in their ability, right? I mean, if you're thinking about hiring someone, we're going to be knocking out these walls, enlarging this auditorium. You know, we wouldn't say, well, you know, we really love children around here. We're going to hire a crew of six-year-olds to do that. You know, they just don't have the ability to do that. And so they're limited in, in, in their ability. That means when it comes to their usefulness in the Lord's work, they are very limited in what they can do. That's exactly where a lot of folks are today. They've been saved for years, but they've never matured. And consequently, instead of ministering to others, instead of being useful in the Lord's work, they have needs that somebody teach them the basic principles all over again. We can go on. They're unwise. They're unwilling to accept constructive criticism. They're unreasonable. I dare you to sit down and try to reason things out with a child. You try to reason with them why they shouldn't eat more sweets than, 
you know, than, than what, they, what they really should. They're not going to listen to you. I mean, you can, you can just sit there and reason with them all you want, and you can be ever so correct in everything you say. It doesn't matter to a kid. They don't care. They're unreasonable. And there are a lot of adult people that are unreasonable, argumentative, and selfish in all the things that I've described simply because they have never matured spiritually. And surely I don't need to, I don't need to tell you on the basis of that they are a real threat to the welfare of any church. Nearly every church problem in some way can be traced to our spiritual immaturity. So it is crucial that we grow. Well, how do we know if we're growing? What are the evidences of spiritual maturity? How can we tell? Well, the Bible gives us the answer to that. For one thing, the person that is spiritually mature will be deep in their understanding. Remember what Paul said? He said, I've got a lot of other things I'd like to say to you, but he said, you're not able to bear it now. And he said, you're in need of receiving the milk of the Word instead of the meat of the Word. So, in comparison to the person that is that is immature, the mature believer, somebody's going to be deep in their understanding. In fact, Paul said to the church at Corinth, he said, Brethren, be not children in understanding. He said to the church at Colossae, he said, Teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Now, by perfect, it doesn't mean sinless. That word perfect means fullness or completeness. It's speaking about maturity. And that's the idea he's saying to those elders and the members of the workers there at Colossae, teaching every man. Why? That they, you might be able to present them as perfect, mature, complete Christians before the Lord. And in order to become that kind of a Christian, you have to get to the place that you go beyond the basics. And it's obvious when you talk to a lot of people, they have no idea what the fundamentals of the faith are. You know, they know what they believe, and, uh, you know, they're sincere about it, but they don't know what is really, truly important and what's not. And somebody says, well, you know, everything is, is, you know, that we believe about the Lord is important. Yeah, but there's some things more important than other things. I mean, whenever you think about the doctrine of salvation, that's a lot more important than a lot of the other Christian doctrines. Whenever you do a study of ecclesiology, the study of the Lord's church, and you begin to think about, you know, your responsibility as being a part of His church, there it entails a lot of different duties and responsibilities that we have. But look, you can fail in all of those areas and still die and go to heaven if you've been born again. So the matter of salvation is of extreme importance. And there are a lot of people that have no idea what is important and what's not. But as a person matures, they begin to understand what's important and what's not. They become deep in their understanding. Not only that, but look here in in verse number 12, 13, and 14. They discern good from evil. He said, uh, 
Verse number 13, For everyone that, that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Just because, just because you think something isn't wrong, it doesn't mean that it isn't. So many times somebody will, you know, they'll say something, usually not to me, or whoever the preacher might be, but they'll say it to someone else. You know, Brother Stone or Brother Kenneth preached a message about this and that. But, you know, I know that's the way they feel about it. But, you know, I, I, I don't see anything wrong with it. Would you ever stop and think that you might be wrong? Just because you don't see something wrong with it doesn't mean that it's all right. And instead of you criticizing others, and that's what people usually do, they say, well, they're just being legalistic, you know. Legalistic, imposing their standards, you know, on, on, on everybody else. And they don't even know what legalism is to start with. They don't have a clue what that phrase really truly means. But, you know, they're trying to use Christian jargon, and so they want to criticize the preacher by calling him a legalist, when in reality all he is doing is simply laying out the demands as God has, has set forth in the Bible. And by the way, God has a right to impose certain standards and restrictions and responsibilities upon us, right? He has a right to do that. And if He has a right to do that, and He commands us to preach the entire Word of God, that's a part of it. So we have an obligation to do that. And for you to just say, well, you know, I don't see anything wrong with it. Maybe you need to, to examine your heart. Maybe you need to study your Bible. Maybe you need to think it through. It just might be because you haven't matured enough to understand that there's something wrong with that. You know, that's the way children, that's what gets them in trouble. You know, that's the way they think. You know, mom and dad say I shouldn't do this, but I don't see anything wrong with it. And, and, you know, so consequently they do it and get in trouble. But maturity enables us to discern between good and evil. Not only that, if you look in chapter 4 and verse 12 of Hebrews, it enables us to divide the soul and the spirit. Now, he's talking about the Word of God, and that's sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing us under the soul and the spirit. Now, I wish I had time to really develop this because it's important. Listen, whenever we think of man, and we know man was created in the image of God, and God is a trinity, and man is a tripart being. We have a body, a soul, and a spirit. The only problem is a lot of folks don't have any idea what the soul and the spirit really is. Well, the body is your seat of world consciousness. Let me just make this simple. Your body is the manner in which you relate to what is around you. You know, I feel this, and through the five senses, I relate to this. The soul is your seat of self-consciousness. That's your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's the sense of self-consciousness, self awareness. The spirit part of you is that part of you that is the seed of God consciousness. This is what sets you apart from all of the animals in the world. Because you have a spirit. You are, you are a soul, but you have a spirit. 
And the problem is today, a lot of people do not understand. We have all of these, all of this argument today about worship. In fact, one fellow wrote a book entitled Worship Wars. And he was telling the truth. There are wars being raged about, you know, uh, how we ought to worship God. I don't like this music and I don't like that music. Let me tell you, part of the problem is, is people that do not have the spiritual maturity to discern between what is spiritual and what is of the soul. And they get this idea just because it is something that moves me emotionally, that makes it acceptable to God. And we would be shocked if we knew how much, how much of our worship is unacceptable to God because it all revolves around that which is soulish rather than that which is spiritual. Just because it makes you feel good doesn't mean God's impressed with it. And through our maturity and by means of the Word of God, we're able to distinguish between what is spiritual and what is soulish. And that's important. Not only that, but we display the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter number 5, he gives a list of nine different graces that make up the fruit of the Spirit. Now notice, these are not called works, they're called fruit. Fruit, that's something that the Spirit produces. Love and joy and peace and goes right on and ends up down there with temperance, which is self-control. So we have a list of all of those nine things, and those are all evidences of the fact that we have matured in our Christian life and that these graces are found in our life. And whenever you find someone that's a professing Christian and you don't see those graces, either they're not saved or they have not matured to the point that they've actually yielded themselves to the control of the Spirit of God. And then there's another thing. Whenever a person is spiritually mature, they delight in Christian service. Remember, John said that the commandments of the Lord are not grievous. Well, they sure are to a lot of folks. That's why somebody nearly has to drag you to church every Sunday. You'd be surprised how many people are here right now that I mean it is a chore to get them here. Either mom and dad, you know, has to threaten them. You're going to get up and you're going to go to church. As long as you live in my house, you're going to church. So they're here, not because they really want to be. And you might be surprised how many husbands end up in church on Sunday. Not because they want to. But because, you know, if mama ain't happy, they ain't nobody happy. And so, you know, rather than argue with her, well, they just decide they'll keep the peace and they'll go to church. And so here they are. When a person matures, they get tired in the work, but they don't grow weary of the work. A spiritually mature person is someone who assumes responsibility. You hear these, these teenagers talk about, well, you know, I, I, just, I just want you to respect me. I want you to treat me like an adult. All right, how about you acting like an adult? 
How about you accepting responsibility around the house and cleaning your room and, you know, uh, helping out with some of the bills or this or that, you know. Act like an adult if you want to be treated like an adult. And when a person matures, they begin to assume responsibilities, you see. And it's not something that they resent. They realize that it is something that is important, and consequently they do it. Somebody says, you know, well, I, you know, I, I, I just, I, I know what I ought to do, but I, you know, and I force myself to do it, but I don't really enjoy it. You've got some growing to do. Now, we could go on and on and on, but it's easy to see that there are a lot of evidences of spiritual maturity. And you don't have to be a Hebrew or a Greek scholar or graduate from seminary to figure all of this stuff out. It's simple. There are these evidences of maturity in our life. Well, whenever we we take into consideration that, then we have to also consider what are the essentials for maturity. In in other words, how do we grow? How, How do we mature in our Christian life? Well, again, whenever we think about children, you know, there's more to... Uh, more to uh, raising children than just giving birth. You know, a mother can give birth to a child and can just lay there and, and eventually it'll die. There are some essentials, and the same thing's true in our Christian life. Sometimes we refer to these as the Christian disciplines, and for good reason. You know, these are things that if we're going to grow spiritually that we have to do. Let me just give you a quick list of seven things that if you're going to grow spiritually, that's essential in your life. Number one, daily food. Nobody can live without food. Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Peter said, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. Job says, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. There's nobody here so dumb as to think that they can survive without food. We all have to have nourishment to survive physically, right? It's essential. And even so, it is essential for our spiritual development that we feed on the Word of God. This is our daily food. And you can't get enough on Sunday to last you all week. If, if the only time you ever study your Bible is on Sunday and maybe Wednesday night if you're feeling good and what have you, I'll guarantee you're headed for, you're headed for a shipwreck in your life. It's not going to work. You're not going to grow. It takes a regular diet of the Word of God for us to grow. But it takes more than that. Although that is most basic and essential, there's other things other than the Word of God. There's also the fact that we need fresh air. You know, I remember several years ago whenever the smog and pollution was real bad and it was over in China and it showed all of these people going around and had the mask on. You know, the, can you imagine it being so bad that you can't even breathe the air? Well, yeah, you can, you know, especially a few years ago and the wind was just right out of Stinkadena over there and it was blowing all of that, all of that pollution, you know, over here on the, on our side of town and it was awful. 
You need, but you need fresh air to survive. Well, look, for the Christian, prayer is our breath of fresh air. That's why the Bible says men ought always to pray and not to faint. It says we ought to pray without ceasing. And so there's a sense in which everything we do, even studying your Bible, depends upon prayer. Because you need the help that only the Spirit of God can give you. And as you read and as you study the Bible, you need the work of the Holy Spirit to enlighten your mind and help you to understand the Bible. So we need daily food. We need fresh air. We need exercise. Exercise. Now, I'm not talking about, though, you know, some people that are addicted to exercise... I mean, they've got, they got to get in their, you know, their routine every single day or they, they just feel terrible. Uh, you know, I'm glad it, it doesn't take as much for me to feel good about myself as it does for them. I, but I have to confess, I could, I could use a lot more exercise than what I get. But, I mean, just to go to the extreme, if you were to tie your, let's say, your arms down at your side, you've got no exercise whatsoever. It'd just be a matter of time until uh, atrophy would set in and you wouldn't be able to use your arms, right? They would certainly never grow and never develop as they ought to. And the Bible says we are to exercise ourselves unto godliness, so it takes exercise, it takes involvement, it also takes rest. You know, you say, well, I'm a type A personality, I've got to be going all the time full bore, and, uh, and after a while it'll catch up with you because God made us so that we need rest just as much as we need exercise. And so the rest for the Christian is what? Relying upon the Lord. The psalmist said, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. And it's as, as we rest upon Him, as we trust in Him, it's our faith in Him. Instead of trying to figure it all out and to do everything ourselves, sometimes we just need to sit back and let God be God and let God work it out instead of us getting in a panic mode about it. And it's important. Then there's a matter of sanitation. Anybody ever watch this show, Hoarders? You say, <laughs> some, some people have lived it, but anyway, that's another story. But, um, you know, it's one thing to accumulate things. My mom was kind of like that. She, and I, I, I confess, I, I caught part of that from her. Man, I hate to throw away one of them nice big, you know, those big coffee cans. That Those are so handy to put nuts and bolts in. And if it wasn't for Bev, I'd have coffee cans sitting everywhere out there, I'm sure. And so, you know, I, I, I accumulate a lot more junk than what I need to. But there is a difference in accumulating stuff and being dirty, nasty, filthy. If you've ever watched that show... I mean, it's absolutely sickening to see what some people are living with. I won't even even try to describe it. It's just absolute filth. Eventually, eventually that's going to hurt a person's health. 
sanitation is important. By the way, God was big on sanitation. And you go back and look at the dietary laws in the Old Testament. There was a reason why God told them no pork. That was back then. Thank God things have changed. But back then, there was a good reason why they shouldn't have pork and, and so forth. Sanitation is important. For the Christian, for the Christian, our sanitation is separation. The Bible says evil communications, and that's not talking about talk, that's talking about those that we keep company with. Evil communication corrupts good manners. You say, well, you know, it doesn't, it just doesn't, doesn't bother me to be around people. I don't let them influence me. Who are you kidding? You sure do. And you start running with the devil's crowd, and it won't be long before you'll be acting just like they do. We've got to separate ourselves from the things of the world. Let me give you two more things. Number one is loving care. It's a proven scientific fact that children do not develop physically as they should. In other words, their growth is going to be stunted unless, unless they receive loving care. And, and for the, for the Christian, that's why every Christian needs a church home. Look, look in Hebrews, turn over to chapter 10. Now, you all know verse 25, right? Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We all know that. So we ought to assemble together. But a lot of people have never figured out why. Look at verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. In other words, whenever we meet together, it's not so much that we meet because of what we get out of it. It's because of what we can put into it. It's not so much about us as it is God using us to provoke others unto love and good works. We need one another. Church membership doesn't save you, but I'll tell you one thing. It'll help you live like a child of God. It's what you need for your spiritual development. You'll never become the person God wants you to be unless you are affiliated with a good Bible-believing church. You need that, and others need you. And lastly, and this is the perfect time to mention this, here we are entering into a new year. A lot of the merchants have taken their inventory Check up to see where they're at. We need regular checkups. All, all, all of you moms know what I'm talking about. You know, you bring a baby into this world and you have your, you know, your checkups at different intervals set by the physician and you take the baby in for their checkups. That's all important. And it's important as we go through life, you know, that we stay ahead of the curve, as it were, and that we get regular checkups to find out where we are in our health. And the Bible tells us that we are to examine ourselves. That is our responsibility. And it says if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. So whenever we put all of this together, and surely, surely it ought to be easy for us to see the danger of immaturity, the harmfulness of immaturity in the Lord's churches. So it's easy for us to decide, well, the best thing for us and others is for us to do something about our arrested development and begin to grow in our Christian life. 
So we know that we need to, but how do we do that? I can remember whenever I was a boy, and I and I mentioned this before. I, I so badly for whatever reason I wanted to be six foot tall, and I kept I had those marks on the door. I kept measuring myself, you know, until you know, until finally I reached it. But 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 the the point is, regardless of how hard I tried, I couldn't make myself grow. Now listen. We've talked about these essentials for growth. We've talked about these Christian disciplines that are necessary for our spiritual growth. But all of that, none of that in and of itself is going to enable you to grow because growth is what? It is a miracle, a supernatural work of God. He's the one that grows us as as we conform to the demands of the Scriptures. In other words, it's kind of like, you know, expecting a harvest and not plowing the ground or planting the seed. God gives the harvest, but we have to plant the seed. Well, when it comes to our spiritual growth, it's essential that you and I feed ourselves daily on the Word of God, breathe the fresh air of prayer, separate ourselves from the things that would corrupt us, and on and on and on. But when we get right down to it, it's God that enables us to grow. Now, the one thing that usually hinders this process is the fact that we don't have a heart for it. In other words, we get content with where we are in our Christian life, and we're, you know, we're just uh, like the Church of the Laodiceans, you know, and they said, well, we don't have any need of anything. Uh, we're rich and increased in goods. We, 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 don't, we don't need anything. No room for improvement in our life. And that's what happens to us. And so we need the motivation necessary to do what we've got to do to meet God's commands that He can grow us spiritually. And that motivation comes by looking at the benefits of Christian growth. The benefits... Number one, it makes us holy. And the Bible tells us we ought to be holy because God is holy. And it makes us happy. Not only does it make us holy and happy, it makes us helpful. In other words, we become more and more and more useful in the Lord's work in the church. So as we begin to look at those benefits and see, and see how we profit from spiritual growth, then we become more and more willing to meet the demands that God has imposed upon us. You know, I'm not here to judge you. I don't know why it is that would cause people to just blatantly, openly sin against God seemingly without any shame whatsoever. It might might be that they've never been born again. It might be that they've never been instructed in the Word of God. And because of their ignorance of God's Word, you know, they don't know where they're at in their spiritual life. But it might very well be that it's simply because you've never really seen the need to grow in your Christian life. And, and, and maybe some of you can look back and you can remember a time where you were growing by leaps and bounds. Boy, you were in the Word of God and you were spending time in prayer and, and God was growing you and, and, and then that stopped. This would be a good time right here at the beginning of this new year 
to determine in your heart whatever God requires, whatever it takes for me to become the person God wants me to be, I'm willing to do it, whatever it is. For some of you, it might be, well, uniting with this church, or if not this one, some church to where you can get the loving care that, that you need as a part of God's family. But whatever it is, you need, you need to, to do it and act on it so God can do a work in your life. Let's all stand together. Father, we thank You for all of Your many blessings. We thank You for the clear instructions that You've given in Your Word. And Lord, we just pray this morning that each and every one of us might be challenged to, to continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgive us of our faults and our failures and strengthen us uh, where we fail so many times and enable us to grow and to become the, the people that you'd have us to be, that you might be well pleased with all that we do here upon this earth, that we might be more useful in your kingdom and more pleasing in your sight. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.